This Knowledge at Wharton podcast was produced in conjunction with EY's Global Private Equity Center. For more information, please visit ey.com slash private equity. I want to thank Michael Rogers and Steve Samet for joining us once again at Knowledge at Wharton to discuss some key issues in private equity today. Michael is EY's Global Deputy Private Equity Leader, and Steve's a senior fellow and lecturer here at Wharton who closely follows private equity and is also in the business. So uh, thanks, both of you, for joining us. This will be, uh, we'll start with part one of our discussion today. We'll have two parts uh, to this, but part one, let's talk about what's happening uh, in the U.S., in P.E., most recently, and also going forward the rest of this year and, and looking at 2015 too. So uh, to put it into context a little bit, uh, in the U.S., IPO proceeds for the first three quarters of 2014 were way up over 2013, much of it coming in the third quarter after the big Alibaba IPO seemed to release the floodgates. So as far as numbers go in the third quarter, uh, the number of listings spiked almost 30 percent over the same 2013 period. Uh, and the amount raised, $67 billion, was up 162%. That's quite a surge. Um, expectations were that the fourth quarter would be strong, too. Uh, and then if you look at the first three quarters of, uh, for 2014, they're also up. But the, as I say, the big surge came in uh, the third quarter. But for the first three quarters, um, there were t- 220 IPOs in all U.S. exchanges. That raised $77 billion, which was up 16% over the same period in 2013. So uh, the question is, what does all that say about private equity in 2014? And uh, Mike, maybe we'll start with you. Okay, thank you, folks. Great to be with you. I mean, clearly, PE has played a great part, a big part in performance of U.S. IPO markets. And so far, I think they've accounted for about one-third of the number of deals and almost half of the value that's been raised. Uh, I think that uh, what really you know, speaks the resilience of the industry, a lot of these deals were entered into before the crisis and uh, several years ago, and it was questionable as to whether they would ever uh, again see the light of day or you know be above market. Uh, and, and actually, PE stuck with it, stuck with a lot of these companies, ushered them through the downturn, uh, turned them into companies that are attractive for public market investors, and. And what's uh, that's been done is it's brought private equity outside of the danger zone in which it's spent the last several years, and we sort of think about that as as the concern that PE firms you know would be unable to achieve sufficient liquidity on their portfolio of companies that they had built up over the last decade. Mike, just uh, uh, just to ask a question that was um, back in, in in the days right the darker days right after the crisis that was referred to as the wall of debt, as I recall. Is that right? <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, I mean, people were very concerned that those companies are going to be uh, stuck there forever. And we did see, uh, you know, an extension out of the uh, hold periods for private equity. Uh, do, in many of our studies that, and reports that we've done have, have noticed that push out in, in uh, hold periods. But ultimately, those who stuck with it, uh, worked with the companies and management to do a great job to build those businesses, have uh, now reaped the rewards and taken advantage of this uh, hot IPO market. So what is the significance of this performance by IPOs for the coming year? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. Uh, and 
This is this is a very critical question, and it's the source of some skepticism I hold with respect to the ultimate liquidity of the private equity sector. And the reason is this. Uh, the private equity funds, unlike in days gone by, had to take pieces or positions within the public offerings themselves. And by and large, are still holding uh, their their ownership positions in these companies. It's only through uh, secondary and aftermarket uh, sales that they will actually be able to achieve some liquidity. Now, that will be just fine if the market continues to um, stay where it is or improves. Uh, there will be demand for those positions, uh, but until that time. Uh, the the checks that they're writing to their limited partners uh, are still somewhat uh, uh, limited. Uh, but overall, uh, having a vibrant IPO market, uh, which is buoying up the overall uh, indices, is good for private equity. It's good for venture capital because it uh, means that the money managers are going to be uh, looking to continue their allocations into the sector. Uh, that is to say, the current limited partners uh, and perhaps new limited partners uh, will uh, have very large uh, treasuries uh, to um, uh, allocate towards uh, the alternative assets. And uh, what uh, industries look like they're going to get the most interest? Uh, I'd like to get a take from each of you on that. Well, the industry I watch most closely is healthcare, uh, and in both the U.S. and uh, overseas, uh, we've been seeing over the last few years uh, an, an unprecedented interest in healthcare. Uh, in the United States, to some extent, that has been a response to the changes brought by the Affordable Care Act, um, otherwise known as Obamacare. Uh, and that has uh, stimulated some consolidation in the industry, uh, but especially reorganization uh, and, moreover, the need for capital infusions by many of the healthcare companies. The private equity funds were willing to step in either on a growth equity basis, that is to say they took minority positions but provided cash, or in some cases uh, uh, control positions or, or buyouts. Uh, in, in order to uh, move the companies further. Uh, and now we're in a period where we're beginning to see some harvesting, uh, which will probably go well and inspire further investment uh, in healthcare uh, in the U.S. Um, that also stimulates some interest in the producer side of healthcare. That is to say, the companies that are making products. Uh, so, for the first time, we're actually seeing in later stage biotech or in pharmaceutical companies, we're seeing private equity plays as well, uh, and those are exiting. Uh, if not by public offerings, because these are frequently publicly traded companies already, uh, uh, we, we are seeing things play out in the M&A market. Interesting. So the f first time for that, that trend that you're citing. Uh, in, the, in the numbers that we're speaking of, yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mike, uh, from, from your position, what do you see as uh, uh, sectors likely to generate the most interest? Yeah, thanks. I, th I think that um, in 2011, 2013 were very busy years for, 
for PEIPOs in the U.S., but uh, what's made this year particularly interesting is the breadth of companies uh, we've been seeing come to market. In fact, you know, while, you know, healthcare, as um, was Steve mentioned, consumer goods and tech have kind of led the way, we've really seen companies across a wide range of industries come to market. And the appetite for new deals and the risk tolerance of investors right now is very accommodative of companies in different sectors and different business models. And we think that's probably something that will continue for a while here, assuming the markets you know, stay uh, as buoyant as they have been. Uh, when we look at the pipeline, we see more of the, of the same. Uh, probably tech, healthcare, Steve touched on, retail, consumer goods, and financials are all re- well represented. I, I would say that we normally have included or thought about oil and gas in that arena, but uh, you know, just the, the recent sort of downdraft in prices you know, from, uh, you know, 110 to the, to the high 70s, uh, say, over the last month or month and a half, uh, has dampened a little bit of enthusiasm uh, regarding uh, oil and gas. I mean, it's just still a long-term interest, still a long-term play, but uh, the dynamics and the financials look a little different for some of those companies, especially emerging energy companies, when you have, uh, you know, those sorts of uh, underlying you know, trends in commodities. Um, I want to ask about another trend, which I, I'm, I'm sure is evolving fairly quickly. But when you uh, try to evaluate what's happening in private equity, if you look at, uh, say, the IPO markets, and maybe I should say M&A also, if you just look at those two things, are you getting a pretty good idea of the, uh, the, the, you know, the trend in PE also? Or are they, do they travel mostly you know, parallel paths? Or, uh, I'm sure there's some caveats, but... Uh, to what extent can you gauge, the, you know, the the health of PE, which isn't always a, a something you can follow publicly, right? By looking at what's happening with IPOs and and M and A, which is most mostly public. One of the proxies for that is to look at what the fundraising trends are uh, in the industry, and in the years following uh, the financial crisis. There, there was a steady, somewhat uneven at times, uh, improvement in the flow of, of capital into uh, private equity funds. Uh, and this was at a time when uh, there was very little liquidity. Uh, uh, but uh, during that period of time, as stock prices recovered, uh, therefore asset values overall recovered, and it triggered uh, new allocations uh, or the restoration of allocations to private equity. Uh, th- this is a very difficult area to study with any kind of scientific precision or, or, or academic integrity. Uh, but what we do see is that uh, you, there's almost a counter-cyclicality uh, to this. I'd find... Um, uh, I suspect I suspect 2014, and then and and actually well into next year, we are going to see a fairly significant inflow of capital uh, to private equity, uh, and uh, that is likely to come from a wider range of limited partners than we currently see. So, to answer your question, uh, when M&A is um, active, which it is almost at historic levels at the moment, uh, and IPOs are uh, uh, in the news, uh, th- that generally portends well for, for private equity. Uh, 
but as I said earlier, it doesn't necessarily mean that their rates of return uh, are what the expectations were when the limited partners took their uh, made their investments seven or eight years ago. Michael, I don't know how you feel about that. This is uh, this is a difficult area to study. Yeah, I agree. And I, I going back, Steve, to one of your earlier thoughts regarding the uh, sort of uh, you know pent up value of stock stock value, if you will, that's tied up with PE funds because of the lockups and the things of that nature. I think that's a very real issue. It's very um, you know much of a concern, I'd say in some places, in some funds, because it's fine as long as the markets continue to rise. Uh, but if they're holding on to big chunks uh, and the markets dip down a little bit, that's going to be impacting them directly. But I think in terms of how, you know, how the industry looks at where they are in terms of you know, how IPO markets move relative to, to the M&A markets and private equity investment, I, I think it's a couple things. It's probably confidence and stability that underpin both. And right now, confidence appears to be pretty high. Uh, the biggest area where we're seeing this have an effect, as Steve touched on, is in the fundraising markets. Uh, the record levels of exit activity are leading uh, a lot of limited partners to reinvest those funds back into the asset class uh, at elevated rates, quite frankly. Uh, right now, I think firms are on pace to raise almost $500 billion globally this year, which would be the best year since the crisis, as Steve touched on. Uh, that, in turn, helps drive activity, right, as uh, there's more... A capital available. But to be fair, I think that connection isn't as strong as it once was, which I think leads to Steve's comments about it's a, it's a hard area to study uh, because PE firms have had you know, a lot of dry powder the last several years uh, and, and hadn't been uh, in, as active in the market. Uh, so they're reducing the cycle, uh, the reliance on the fundraising cycle a little, a little bit, I believe. Uh, but we have seen that strength uh, when, when a lot of new investment comes back into the market, when you get higher allocations from pension funds and, and uh, different areas, uh, LPs, uh, endowments, etc., that does bode well for future investment for PE. Uh, uh, Steve, please. Yeah, yeah uh, the, the, the M&A implications actually are, go well beyond uh, the excitement building in private equity. We have to recall that when we're talking about M&A, we're, we're typically talking about transactions of one company acquiring another. Uh, th- that basically means there's more and more competition uh, for uh, private equity funds uh, against uh, uh, strategic acquirers uh, who sometimes are willing to pay more of a premium of, uh, for the for the buyouts than the the private equity funds would play, uh, this hasn't uh, this hasn't played out fully yet. Uh, uh, it, to some extent, it's good because the the market and the uh, and if you're leveraging positions, there's there's confidences uh, uh, behind fueling this, uh, as Mike referred. Uh, but it is definitely going to affect the pricing of opportunities. And if prices uh, for the acquisitions uh, go up, that has longer-term negative implications for the, for the returns that the funds will eventually deliver. Well, one thing seems pretty clear, and that is, um, Mike, you'll know about this firsthand, uh, and you do this on a regular basis, but EY's 11th Global Capital Confidence Barometer, looking at M&A found uh, that 81% of U.S. executives expect 
the M&A market to improve. So uh, I guess that's uh, – people are bullish on, on, on what's coming up over the next quarter or two at least, if not more. Yeah, I think this is something that we've tracked for over five and a half years now through this uh, semi-annual survey of more than 1,600 executives across the globe. And as a uh, matter of fact, I was actually in London for three and a half years, and I ran this program on a global basis for the firm, so I'm intimately familiar with it. The 81% um, of the U.S. executives that expect M&A market to improve, I think, is what you quoted. Uh, just to let me put that in context a second, when we were doing – uh, this analysis in the in the depths of the uh, downturn in 2009 2010, we would you we could at times get record uh, get reports of say 20 or 25 uh, percent of the of uh, the group feeling that the markets were going to improve. So that shows you uh, you know, just how far we are. And you know maybe it's uh, you know gone too far the other way, but there's a tremendous amount of confidence. Uh, and you know as we found in our last survey. Uh, there's a big uptick in expectations in the U.S. market, and I think the U.S. market uh, is is uh, disengaged a little bit from the rest of the world market, if you will, uh, decoupled, uh, because it's actually improving, and, and the perce- perception of improvement is much higher than around the world. Uh, and, and a couple of these big billion-dollar deals that have been done, uh, those have ripple effect into the middle market, and that's where a lot of PE activity is focused. Uh, I think this will probably result in, in more competition for PE investors trying to do deals at attractive multiples. And we've already seen that competition. A number of our clients telling us that they feel valuations are, are too high already. Uh, but it does portend well that um, you know M and A as an exit route. There's still a lot of activity, uh, and that's where uh, you know PE is focused right now. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn. Dot edu.